exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hamerty. Reynaldo has been dismissed and sent to Paris, thence never to return. The character does not appear again in the play, and personally I like to think he goes and has a tremendous time in France. Perhaps it's even the same Reynaldo that winds up getting a job serving the French Countess in All's Well That Ends Well, but that's certainly a different story. While there might be a temptation to dismiss the first half of this scene, Act 2, Scene 1, as less than critical to the overall plot, and therefore even worthy of being cut, there's a great deal to be learned from it about how Polonius operates. The second half of the scene makes all the more sense once we have learned that this is someone who thrives on information and surveillance. There's an elegant balance to the scene, in which Shakespeare has Polonius deal first with his son, and then with his daughter. Just as Rinaldo is exiting to oblivion, Ophelia comes in, visibly distressed. Polonius questions her immediately. How now, Ophelia, what's the matter? Oh, my lord, my lord, I have been so affrighted. It's rather interesting that she addresses her father so formally. Even in this moment of distress, the formality of their relationship, and perhaps her respect for his high rank at court, cannot be compromised. She explains that she has been very frightened by something. Polonius might be very tender and paternal here, or might just be annoyed at her interruption or her dramatic response. With what, in the name of God? Ophelia replies in some detail. My lord, as I was sewing in my closet, Lord Hamlet, with his doublet all unbraced, no hat upon his head, his stockings fouled, ungartered and down-jived to his ankle, pale as his shirt, his knees knocking each other, and with a look so piteous in purport, as if he had been lucid out of hell to speak of horrors, comes before me. There is a good deal going on in this short passage. The image Ophelia describes, of Hamlet's dishevelled, peculiar appearance as he visits her, is a key image in the narrative history of the play, and it has often been recreated in paintings and, of course, on film. The earlier scene between Laertes and Ophelia hinted that there's been something of a liaison between Ophelia and Hamlet, and given Polonius' position at court, it's not particularly surprising that they should at very least be friends. In the world of this play, there are remarkably few young people that appear, so it's unsurprising that Shakespeare would have them spending time together. All this to say that it might not be immediately problematic for Hamlet to be showing up in Ophelia's private quarters or her closet. What is peculiar is his appearance, described in some detail. He has his doublet, all unbraced. Shakespeare has any and all of his characters dressed in Elizabethan clothing. It's no more unusual for a character in this play, Denmark, to wear a doublet, regardless of the story's setting in time, than it was for the Romans in Julius Caesar to wear one. Indeed, there are numerous references in that play to items of Elizabethan clothing, not least the doublet. Hats are likewise to be worn in the world of the Danish court. It was standard for them to be worn in Shakespeare's England, too. Therefore, Hamlet, appearing to Ophelia without one, was an anomaly. Much, much later in the play, we will meet Osric, a character whose defining feature could be said to be the wearing of his hat. 
Ophelia's description continues as she describes how Hamlet's stockings are fouled, by which she means that they're just not clean and showing considerable wear. They are also ungartered and down-jived to his ankle. The Elizabethan fashion for wearing garters to hold up stockings on the legs is memorably immortalised in Twelfth Night, when Malvolio is tricked into wearing outrageously yellow cross-gartered stockings. Hamlets, by contrast, are not held up by garters, and as a result, they have fallen down towards his ankles. A jive is a restraint placed around the ankle, rather like the ball and chain. Shakespeare coined the term down jived to combine the falling of the stockings and their unusual position at Hamlet's ankles. It's a very specific image indeed. If James Shapiro is to be believed, Hamlet was written rather soon after Julius Caesar, as discussed in a good few earlier episodes of the podcast, and As You Like It. This being the case, audiences might well remember Rosalind's playful description of what a man in love should look like. She says, Your hose should be ungartered, your bonnet unbounded, your sleeve unbuttoned, your shoe untied, and everything about you demonstrating a careless desolation. But just when we might think that this might be going along the lines of a romance or a comedy, Ophelia's description goes much further. Hamlet is pale as his shirt, his knees knocking each other, and with a look so piteous in purport, as if he had been lucid out of hell to speak of horrors. The vision is extended. He isn't so much the careless lover as the revenant, the creature released from hell to speak of horrors. Unwittingly, we assume, Ophelia is actually connecting Hamlet's messy image to the ghost of his father. Polonius might have any number of responses to this. What did he say? What did he want? What was he doing in your closet with you? But instead he goes right to the point and asks if Hamlet is in love with Ophelia. Hamlet has already hinted that he might act funny moving forward, and so Shakespeare is setting this up via other characters' responses. Polonius immediately starts to imagine that Hamlet is losing his mind. He simply asks if Hamlet is mad for thy love. Ophelia doesn't quite know what to say in response, and says so. My lord, I do not know, but truly I do fear it. His interest piqued. Polonius asks for more information, with a blunt, what said he? Ophelia now continues her description of Hamlet's behaviour. He took me by the wrist and held me hard. Then goes he to the length of all his arm, and, with his other hand thus over his brow, he falls to such perusal of my face as he would draw it. Long stayed he so. At last, a little shaking of mine arm, and thrice his head thus waving up and down, he raised a sigh, so piteous and profound, as it did seem to shatter all his bulk and end his being. That done, he lets me go. And with his head over his shoulder turned, he seemed to find his way without his eyes, for out of doors he went without their help, and to the last bended their light on me. We, the audience, have already been warned of Hamlet's plans to put an antic disposition on, but poor Ophelia isn't in on the game at all. Presumably, Hamlet's performance is very effective, since it prompts her own repeat performance of his actions to her father. Interestingly, Shakespeare weaves physical prompts into this description, insisting on the details of how Hamlet withdrew from her to about an arm's length away and put his hand across his forehead in a way that she must repeat, and he fixes his gaze upon her while he sighs. 
Indeed, he leaves the room without taking his gaze from her at all. It's quite an alarming description. Hamlet is definitely playing the role of the lovesick young man, perhaps driven to this distracted state by the end of his relationship with Ophelia. Hamlet knows that Polonius is a crafty operator, as surely everyone in the court must. In order to deflect attention from his now very just cause against the new king, Hamlet is perhaps manipulating his relationship with Ophelia as a distraction. Polonius has already made his feelings on the matter very clear, so Hamlet's dramatic behaviour, clearly caused by the fact that Ophelia has rejected him, will engage Polonius. If the old man sees what he wants to see, that Hamlet and Ophelia are no longer an item, this will be the perfect shield against any suspicion of Hamlet's designs against the king. We shall see Polonius's response to his daughter's story in the next episode. I hope you'll join me then, and as ever, I'm delighted to hear from you on Facebook or Twitter, and of course via the website, soon to be substantially renovated for its first birthday, and that is, as ever, thehamletpodcast.com. Thanks very much for tuning in, and I'll speak to you next time. In directions, he will find directions out. Despite the catalogue of sins he's listed, which he clearly fears Laertes is committing non-stop over in decadent Paris, he doesn't quite ever tell us why he's so interested or concerned. But, having grown to his point, Polonius checks with Rinaldo again. You have me, have you not? My lord, I have. God be with you. Fare you well. Good my lord. Observe his inclination in yourself. I shall, my lord. And let him ply his music. Well, my lord, farewell. Polonius really does loving say goodbye as often as possible, but he also insists that Rinaldo observe Laertes personally, and that he ensure that Laertes practices his music, which is of course one of the great aspects of the education of a gentleman. This is a nice, lighter parental touch after the alarming invasion he's laid out through the scene so far. Now that Laertes has been dealt with, Ophelia enters, right on cue, but we'll save her interview for the next episode. Thank you very much for listening, as ever. Do please stay up to date with the podcast on Twitter, where you can find us at Hamlet Podcast, and feel free to subscribe and get the word out, and of course, check out all of the treasures that await you at thehamletpodcast.com.